Hi, everyone. This is Jim Kelly, and you're listening to Free Reads. I'm back with another chapter of Men Are Trouble, written by me and read by the lovely and talented Genevieve Achel. I'm making this available to you for free under a Creative Commons license. If you like what you hear, why not drop a modest gratuity into my PayPal account over on my website, www.jimkelly.net. Or perhaps consider a subscription to my for-pay podcast over on Audible, www.audible.com slash Jim Kelly. Thanks for listening. Men Are Trouble by James Patrick Kelly. Seven. The Poison Society was lit brightly enough to give a camel a headache. If you forgot your sunglasses, there was a rack of freebies at the door. Set into the walls were terrariums where diamondback rattlers coiled in the sand, black-neck cobras dangled from dead branches, and brown scorpions basked on ceramic rocks. The hemlock was in bloom. Clusters of small white flowers opened like umbrellas. Upright stems of monkshood were interplanted with death-cap mushrooms in wine casks cut in half. Curare vines climbed the pergola over the alcohol bar. I counted maybe fifty customers in the main room, which was probably a good crowd for a Wednesday night. I had no idea yet how many might be lurking in the specialty shops that opened off this space, where a nice girl might arrange for a guaranteed safe session of sexual asphyxia, either by hanging or drowning, or else get her cerebrum toasted by various brain-lightning generators. I was hoping Kate was out in the open with the relatively sane folks. I didn't really want to poke around in the shops, but I would if I had to. I thought I owed it to Rashmi Jones. I strolled around, pretending to look at various animals and plants, carrying a tumbler filled with a little Johnny Walker black label and a lot of water. I knew Kate would be disguised, but if I could narrow the field of marks down to three or four, I might actually snoop her. Of course, she might be on the other side of town, but this was my only play. My guess was that she'd switch styles, so I wasn't necessarily looking for a Tommy. Her hair wouldn't be brunette, and her skin would probably be darker, and contacts could give her cat's eyes or zebra eyes or American flags if she wanted but even with padding and lifts, she couldn't change her body type enough to fool a good scan. And I had her data from the Chrysler medical files loaded into my sidekick. Father Elaine had tried Kate's call, but she wouldn't pick up. That made perfect sense, since just about anyone could put their hands on software that could replicate voices. There were bots that could sing enough like Velma Stone to fool her own mother. Kate and Graziana would have agreed on a safe word. Our problem was that Graziana had taken it with her to hell, or wherever the devil had consigned her. The first mark my sidekick picked out was a redhead in silk pajamas and lime green bunny slippers. A scan matched her to Kate's numbers to within 5%. I bumped into her just enough to plant the snoop, a sticky homing device the size of a baby tooth. Excuse me, sorry, I said, sorry. I slopped some of my drink onto the floor. She gave me a glare that would have withered a cactus and I noodled off. As soon as I was out of her sight, I hit the button on my sidekick to which I'd assigned Kate's call. When Kate picked up, the snoop would know if the call had come from me and signal my sidekick that I had found her. The redhead wasn't Kate. Neither was the bald Jane in distressed leather. The problem with trying to locate her this way was that if I kept calling her, she'd get suspicious and lose the sidekick. I lingered by a pufferfish aquarium. Next to it was a safe, and in front of that a twitsie fiddled with the combination lock. I scanned her and got a match to within two percent. She was wearing a spangle wig and a stretch-laced dress with a ruffle front. When she opened the door of the safe, I saw that it was made of clear Luxar. She reached in, then slammed the door and trotted off as fast as if she were late for the last train of the night. 
I peeked through the door of the safe. Inside was a stack of squat blue inhalers like the one Rashmi had used to kill herself. On the wall above the safe, the management of the Poison Society had spray-painted a mock graffiti. Twenty-one left, four right, eleven left. There was no time to plant a snoop. I pressed the call button as I tailed her. With a strangled cry, the Tootsie yanked a sidekick from her clutch purse, dropped it to the floor, and stamped on it. She was wearing Donya Durand ice and taupe flat slingbacks. As I moved toward her, Kate Vermeil saw me and ducked into one of the shops. She dodged past 55-gallon drums of carbon tetrachloride and dimethyl sulfate and burst through the rear door of the shop into an alley. I saw her fumbling with the cap of the inhaler. I hurled myself at her and caught at her legs. Her right shoe came off in my hand, but I grabbed her left ankle and she went down. She still had the inhaler and was trying to bring it to her mouth. I leapt on top of her and wrenched it away. Do you really want to kill yourself? I aimed the inhaler at her face and screamed at her. Do you, Kate? Do you? The air in the alley was thick with despair and I was choking on it. Come on, Kate, let's do it. No! Her head thrashed back and forth. No, please, stop! Her terror fed mine. Then what the hell are you doing with this thing? I was shaking so badly that when I tried to pitch the inhaler into the dumpster, it hit the pavement only six feet away. I had come so close to screwing up. I climbed off her and rolled on my back and soaked myself in the night sky. When I screwed up, people died. Cyanide is awful bad for the baby, I said. How do you know about my baby? Her face was rigid with fear. Who are you? I could breathe again, although I wasn't sure I wanted to. Faye Hardaway, I gasped. I'm a P.I. I left you a message this morning. Najma Jones hired me to find her daughter. Rashmi is dead. I know, I said. So was Graziana. I sat up and looked at her. Father Elaine will be glad to see you. Kate's eyes were wide, but I don't think she was seeing the alley. Graziana said the devils would come after me. She was still seeing the business end of the inhaler. She said that if I didn't hear from her by tomorrow, then we had lost everything and I should do it. You know, to protect the church. And just now my sidekick picked up three times in ten minutes. Only there was nobody there, and so I knew it was time. That was me, Kate, sorry. I retrieved the Donya Duran slingback I'd stripped off her foot and gave it back to her. Tell me where you got this? It was Rashmi's. We bought them together at Grail's. Actually, I picked them out. That was before... I loved her, you know, but she was crazy. I can see that now, although it's kind of too late. I mean, she was okay when she was taking her meds, but she would stop every so often. She called it taking a vacation from herself. Only it was no vacation for anyone else, especially not for me. She decided to go off on the day we got married and didn't tell me, and, and all of a sudden after the ceremony we got into this huge fight about the baby and who loved who more, and she started throwing things at me, these shoes, and then ran out of the church barefoot. I don't think she ever really understood about, you know, what we were trying to do. I mean, I've talked to the bride of God herself, but Rashmi... Kate rubbed her eye and her hand came away wet. I sat her up and put my arm around her. That's all right. Not really your fault. I think poor Rashmi must have been hanging by a thread. We all are. The whole human race are what's left of it. We sat there for a moment. I saw her mom this morning, I said. She said to tell you she was sorry. Kate sniffed. Sorry? What for? I shrugged. I know she didn't have much use for me, said Kate. At least that's what Rashmi always said. But as far as I'm concerned, the woman was a saint to put up with Rashmi and her mood swings and all the acting out. She was always there for her. And the thing is, Rashmi hated her for it. I got to my knees and then to my feet. I helped Kate up. 
The alley was dark, but that wasn't really the problem. Even in the light of day, I hadn't seen anything. This is Jim Kelly, and you've been listening to the Free Reads Podcast. Check in again next week for more of Men Are Trouble. <laughs> <laughs>